anxiety has been on the rise. About 7 to 8% of children experience anxiety in their life um, before age 21, I should say. Unfortunately, only about one third of these individuals seek treatment. And that's unfortunate for many reasons, but mainly because we have, um, it's a highly treatable disorder. So anxiety is something that we are observing now in our communities, especially the Black community with kids wondering whether they're going to be the next victims of a uh, inequitable police practice. Um, they're wondering if their father or mother are going to be somehow um, engaged by the police and it end badly. And so we see higher anxiety at this moment. Welcome to Grayson 30 on WERALP Arlington 96.7 FM and streaming at WERA.FM. This is Ed Malik, and I'll be your host for the program tonight. There's been a significant increase in mental health issues among our children due to COVID isolation, social unrest, and the economic challenges many of their parents are suddenly facing. These include things like anxiety, rebellion, and even suicidal thoughts. Add these to environments with a greater frequency of violence, drug use, gang activity, and the challenge of treating these conditions becomes even greater. Tonight, we're talking to Dr. Robert Wingfield, the chief psychologist at the Boys Town Behavioral Health Clinic in Washington, D.C. Robert joins us to talk about the issues he most frequently encounters these days and to offer advice for how to help our children handle these unusual times. Robert, welcome to Grace in 30. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be on. I understand that your four-year-old daughter recently asked you if white people were going to hurt her. What does that tell you? What does that tell us about what we're going through these days, especially our children? Yeah, it startled me. I was not expecting it. Um, As we know, children are like sponges. So she had taken in a lot of content from television that week after George Floyd's death, the murder. And that's how she interpreted what was going on. And our TV is not usually on the news. It's usually on things like Daniel Tiger and Dora the Explorer. But of course, we wanted to keep up with what was happening in the country. And this question broke my heart um, because I could see that she was very worried. I could see that she was very very terrified. Um, But it also broke my heart because it made me think about the clients that I work with at Boys Town, the Behavioral Health Clinic, the individuals in her age range. Um, who I'm sure have very similar thinking and concerns. And then going further out than that, thinking about all the Black children in America who are probably wondering the same thing, you know, wondering are, in the words of a four-year-old, are the white people going to kill us? And uh, thankfully, my daughter is bold enough to pose these questions to me and my wife. Um, But unfortunately, many kids are going, going to perhaps suffer in silence and not express their concerns. And those are the kids who are more vulnerable to experience the kind of distress that becomes toxic and really creates these um, dysfunctional um, existences. And that's very problematic. That's very troubling. And um, my wife kind of looked at me as if to indicate that uh, it was my responsibility to respond to that question from my daughter, which I did. But of course, um, it requires multiple conversations 
because it, one one conversation won't fully um, help and um, won't fully uh, fix everything in terms of her comprehension. But it, it was a good starter conversation. So, what do you recommend? I mean, you're you're a healthcare expert, so people would expect you to know what to say and how to what to look out for. But what what regular people do? People listening, how do they notice these sort of issues in their children? And when they do, you know, what are some simple things you can tell them for how to talk them through this sort of these sort of fears? Sure, I feel very blessed to have the knowledge and the training that I do have because my daughter can be a recipient of this of this training. And I try my best to do what you're asking now is to convey um, and guide um, parents to feel confident and feel like they can have a way to engage their child if this question arises or if they want to, you know, be um, proactive. They don't have to wait until the child asks the question. Um, but to get to your to get to your question, um, I believe we have to speak the truth in love. And this is actually inspired by a verse in Ephesians, um, Ephesians 4.15. Um, it talks about, uh, as we speak the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of Christ. And I bring that verse up because um, my family, we are believers, and my, my daughter has a foundation um, in her faith for us to then extend into conversations that, you know, have to do with real life. So I would recommend to parents, if they have a faith system, um, this is a good foundation for the conversations that are difficult to then, um, to, to then build on. And so I was very intentional about making sure I did not paint a picture that was, um, perfect because she 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 lives in a world that's imperfect so that's a good starting place to convey to kids that we do live in an imperfect world with imperfect people and it is our uh, responsibility to work on areas uh that are displeasing to god and these are these are the these are the words this is the language that i use to my four-year-old and i talked about um racism um, in the context of obedience versus disobedience to God and the effect that disobedience has on society, which is which uh, is behavior that is um, hateful or sinful or problematic, hurtful towards other people. But thankfully, um, she has a good habit of you know knowing how to pray even at age four. So my, my recommendation to her was to uh, continue to ask me questions about it, continue to pray about it. And also um, I, I directed her attention to examples of individuals who are white who do not mistreat uh, black people. And I am an African-American black man and um, we have a family two houses down, they happen to be white. They are incredibly kind to us. Um, they always have been since we moved into the community. And I was able to help my daughter to see um, what love looks like in the actions of white people. So she was able to comprehend and process that not all um, white people 
or people who are different than her are mean. There are plenty of individuals who are kind and loving. And this was very, um, this was very beneficial. She smiled when I reminded her about our neighbors and she could definitely um, think of 20, 30, 40 things that the neighbors have done over you know, the years that have been kind towards us and this helped her out. What, what is the number one thing you're seeing? Would you classify what she said as a symptom of anxiety or, or what is the biggest issue you're seeing in children right now, given the circumstances? Yes. What we are observing now is the uh, collective trauma reaction in the population in our community. Uh, collective trauma is something that is, um, has been studied for a number of years, a number of decades, and it can have a uh, very, very deep and long-lasting negative impact on individuals. So anyone who observed and watched the murder of Mr. George Floyd, they were in the presence of content that was difficult, disturbing, alarming. And the more you look at content of that nature, the more vulnerable you are to vicarious PTSD or vicarious trauma, to speak more generally about it. And there, there are going to be symptoms of anxiety symptoms that resemble PTSD for those who are uh, more involved or more engaged and more hurt and more impacted. And, and I believe what my daughter was displaying um, was a small version of it. There are certainly people who are experiencing um, much deeper and much more problematic um, responses and symptoms of collective trauma. But, but thankfully, you know, in the research, there are um, steps that can be taken to address collective trauma or to uh, treat it um, societal, a societal treatment of it, uh, per se. Well, what can parents do? What are some of the, some of the ways that it manifests that, that the parents can see, Ugh, this is what's happening here? And then what yes. can they do? Basic things they can do to really help their children. Yes. Um, first, spot the symptoms. Um, symptoms include rage, depression, denial. Um, sometimes there's a guilt, a survivor guilt. Um, there may be some physiological changes that um, kids start to display. Um, an example might be if they normally are okay with a sibling jumping on their back and holding their, their neck um, as they're getting a piggyback ride, but they're reacting really uh, strongly to somebody touching their neck, um, that may be a part of their trauma um, playing out because they could be more sensitive to anything being around their neck because of George Floyd's death. Um, was It was visibly clear and it was verbally clear that he could not breathe. So there have been um, individuals who now have these sensitivities to things being around their neck because it's a trigger to think about Mr. George Floyd. So I, I encourage parents to be really um, observant to see if they have, if they observe the changes in their child's demeanor and changes in their behavior. Once they um, see these changes, make sure that you know parents should be talking to their child about their feelings and their reactions 
even if the child doesn't seem to display any issues, it is best practice. It is a great precautionary measure to check in with the child. It's very important that um, kids have a context for how they are processing really disruptive experiences. Uh, the context for children, I, I recommend focusing on ethics and focusing on virtues. When society is focused on ethics, when families in the home are focusing on ethics, every conversation that is challenging can at least be framed in the context of ethical versus unethical or virtuous behavior versus behavior that is anti-virtuous. And kids really can wrap their brain around these constructs and they see these constructs play out in a variety of scenarios. Books are a great tool to have these um, conversation, conversations. There are websites um, where you can get a list of the top 30 books on race relationships, on racism, and books provide what is considered to be a bibliotherapy. You get to sort of provide a version of therapy through the reading of the book, and there's usually a theme of good versus evil, and when kids connect mistreatment of others to this notion of evil, they then can contrast it to the notion of being good. And then the virtuous behaviors, which are simply um, habits that are uh, constructive and healthy and prioritize humanity and prioritize self-betterment, once these virtuous behaviors become the pursuit, then kids can almost become ambassadors of this message of ethics and, and virtuous behavior. So it sounds like just basic education and these things, try to get them to, and, and to get them to practice that virtuous behavior. And I'm assuming you also want to maybe turn, dial down the social media and the TV coverage and everything, keep that off in the background. Cause I mean, kids pick up everything. And I, I was amazed when my daughter grew up at the, the, her awareness and the things that she knew and heard and and it's just I think we we're kind of careless in the things we keep running in the background, whether it's television or things we have on our computers or whatever. Is it good to throttle that back or manage that in some way? I'm glad you brought that up. That's such a great point. It is very easy to fall into the trap of feeling obligated to know everything the moment that it occurs. It is okay, like you're suggesting to turn off the screens, turn off the phone, turn off the tablet, turn off the television, because guess what? Those devices being on are not going to prevent the events that are happening. What is going on with many households is um, fear-driven decision-making regarding the technology, and it's understandable because people want to know what are their risks? What are what is going on in their community? This is when you have to really kind of consider what are the alternatives. If the if the TV is not on, then what am I going to do? Am I just going to sit around and worry? The answer is no. Uh, you can engage in mindfulness practices. Mindfulness practices can include meditation. They could be silent medica- meditation, or it could be a guided meditation. There are apps um, accessible through your smartphone where you can take time away from looking at a screen to hear a voice guide you through 
some meditations to really calm and relax and reset your brain. I call it resetting the brain because there's so much input that it does become an overload, overwhelming um, type of experience to get so much information, especially emotionally triggering uh, information, exercise. Stepping away from the screen provides an opportunity to to go for a walk, go for a jog, or just do some push-ups, sit-ups, jumping jacks. And if people have the opportunity to do yard work, if you have a small yard or a large large yard, um, those are options as well. Just just get away from all of the stimuli that is feeding and fueling the um, the problems and the emotional issues. And then, of course, returning to gather news when it is appropriate for your uh, emotional um, system to receive that 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 new information. Give us a quick snapshot about Boys Town, where it began when the DC facility opened, and then you guys just started providing these mental health services in a really targeted way in the last several years. That's my understanding. Give us a little background on that, what you guys do. Yes, um, Boys Town's Behavioral Health Clinic launched in 2015, and we provide outpatient behavioral health services. Put simply, families call us and they ask if we can help their child with a variety of issues that may affect their school functioning and may affect relationships in the home or outside of the home. And common referral concerns include anxiety, depression, um, school issues like learning problems, but a whole host of other behaviors um, we thankfully have treatments for. I know you offer services for people that are homeless. And uh, you work in communities which are characterized by a greater incidence of drug use, gangs, things like that. What are the what are the big issues, the other issues besides what we're encountering these days that you you come into contact with? And and how do you deal with those? How do you help these children in these difficult environments? You know, anxiety has been on the rise. About seven to eight percent of children experience anxiety in their life um, before age twenty one. I should say, unfortunately. Only about one-third of these individuals seek treatment, and that's unfortunate for many reasons, but mainly because we have, um, it's a highly treatable disorder. So anxiety is something that we are observing now in our communities, especially the Black community with kids wondering whether they're going to be the next victims of an inequitable police practice. Um, They're wondering if their father or mother are going to be somehow um, engaged by the police and it in badly. And so we see higher anxiety at this moment. Um, and, and, and Boys Town's Behavioral Health Clinic is here for whatever the community needs are. Um, and, and anxiety is, is, is a really, really um, common issue we're, we're dealing with. So you would say that's like the number one issue, right? You, you know, it is the number one issue that we're seeing in, in DC Clinic at this time and just broader uh, ADHD is a really common disorder, as well as behavior disorders um, that have to do usually with oppositional defined disorders or conduct disorders. Uh, and then anxiety is up there in the top three. So I noticed this term when I was preparing for the interview, uh, of something called rupture, sort of a brain repair following exposure to stress. I thought that was fascinating. Can you tell listeners what that is and and what that process is after people are 
you know, encounter some situation or, or they're in some prolonged situation where they're under stress, how do humans react to this? And then what, what is the process? What's a healthy process of healing that we should go through and how do we encourage that? You know, when someone is stressed, it really does change the way that they are functioning. You know, their behaviors are different, but also the brain activity could be different. There's more adrenaline. There are more, uh, there's more cortisol. Um, and there are things that uh, reflect uh, major, you know, changes to how a person is operating. And a lot of times people are unaware that they are under, they're in stress because maybe their environment is so stressful that it becomes almost a expectation to be stressed and they don't know that they're stressed until they get out of it. But um, it's really key to have emotional awareness, emotional communication, and that requires people who are willing to listen. And the more people can empathize, the more listeners will be available. And when kids go to school and they have a teacher who is willing to listen, it's usually a teacher who is able to empathize. And that's the prerequisite. Boys Town has a, a slogan, a hashtag that has emerged since these uh, recent tragedies. And it's um, hashtag teach love. And, and love is, is an emotion. It's a feeling, but it's also, you know, there are also actions. And I think about the Good Samaritan in scriptures, the parable of the Good Samaritan how uh, there were people who walked by and didn't do anything, but there was the Good Samaritan who stopped and helped the person in distress. And I think this is a call for all of us to think about that Good Samaritan example and then live it out even in this moment. I think every employee at Boys Town has a heart of a Good Samaritan. And now it's about... Um, figuring out how to evolve the Good Samaritan identity in the face of unsatisfying, unsatisfactory uh, social climates. And I think that uh, I've seen uh, in America this pursuit of evolving. And I think that we all have some room to, to grow in and develop as Good Samaritans because there are many kids who are in distress and they are screaming for help. And oftentimes anxiety may look like anger, but what you really have at the root of it is, is anxiety and stress. When I look at what you guys do, your description on the web, you really try to involve teachers and parents and others in, in this treatment of, of these children. It sounds like you're almost looking for good Samaritans within the, the network that these, the environment these kids are already in. Would, would that be safe to say? Uh, absolutely. And, and good Samaritans for Boys Down come in all shapes, sizes, and acts of kindness. There are some people who are available with their time, and they can volunteer their time for some of our events during the year. Our website and our Facebook page, boystown.org, uh, locations slash Washington, D.C., or you can just put Washington, D.C., Boys Town in your Google you will see a host of events that our program development um, department puts on the internet. So you can reach out to us through email to volunteer your time. There's some people who are blessed with financial um, abilities to give. And we certainly, we, we certainly need funding 
um, annually, monthly, weekly, daily to support our programs. Not all programs are able to um, function solely based on reimbursements for services completed. There's usually a gap and we rely on our good Samaritan um, donors to help um, close that gap. And we have a, an amazing board of directors for Boys Town DC who leads by example. There's so many individuals on that board of directors who give uh, tens of thousands of dollars and they are setting an example for everyone else to, to follow in the area of giving um, out of their pockets. So what are the most important things you want to share? The, the, the one thing or the two things you wanted, wanted to make sure you said to listeners when you got on the air tonight? I really feel compelled to um, convey the importance of individual self-improvement, especially for parents. When parents model good ethics and virtuous behavior, kids begin to adopt these behaviors and integrate them into their everyday actions. We need more, we need more of that. We need more self-examination. We need to think of ourselves as the reference point that kids are going to um, look at and then model. And so there are a number of adults who have unmet mental health needs. So I encourage parents to not just think of this discussion as a call for getting your kid help, but a call for getting yourself help because you are a pivotal piece of your child's adjustment and you are a pivotal piece to um, showing integrity and, and showing a real a care for humanity. So it's a matter of them, A, being involved and, and then involved in a way that sets a good example, correct? Absolutely. Give us some resources. Tell us about, you know, should people go to the website? You can only treat so many people, but, but you certainly give us your information so people can reach out in your community and tell us some other resources that people can access. Sure. You know, in Northern Virginia, we have a lead psychologist. Her name is Dr. Amanda McLean. She works at two pediatric practices, the pediatric group, and she works at all pediatrics. We would love for those practices to have more Boys Town providers. Amanda McLean cannot do it alone. She does phenomenal work. So, um, you know, this kind of connects to what we said earlier. Those donations will help fund positions to help fill those slots. And I just want to um, point out that Children's National is a partner of ours and individuals who are um, looking for immediate help and they need more of a emergency treatment experience, they should look into hospitals for that urgent care. And that is so important because we do have a lot of youth who are experiencing suicidal ideation, suicidal thoughts, and sometimes suicidal um, attempts. And so- a, a phone number to share with us? You know, it's not in front of me, but I- um, I'll get it on know. the website. All right. That sounds good. Thank you so much for joining us. If listeners want to find out more about Boys Town, check out the website at boystown.org, and you can click on the Washington, D.C. location. This is Ed and Robert signing off from Grayson 30 on WERALP Arlington 96.7 FM. Have a great night, and be sure to tune into Grace.